Good evening, church. It's a blessing and a privilege to, to be with you tonight and to have an opportunity to bring a portion of, of God's Word. And, and I'm, I'm very thankful for that opportunity, even if it is at Blake's expense, uh, but I'm, I'm excited for it. Last weekend, I had the privilege uh, to attend the LTC North Texas Convention with several of our, of our youth. And man, what a blessing to see the months and months of, of work that they put in come to fruition. It was something special. And I know it's been said, and I know you probably already have, but when you see those kids, talk to them about it. Congratulate them, encourage them, because some wonderful things are happening for the kingdom through what they do at LTC. While I was there, I had the opportunity to sit in and listen on uh, some of the sermons that the young men had, had prepared and was able to, to judge some of those speeches. While I was in there, I heard something that, well, honestly, I just wanted to steal for this lesson. And, and I'm sure like you, like me, have heard many sermons on faith and belief, faith without works, works without faith, and just about everything else in between. But this young man, I, only in the seventh or eighth grade, if I can remember, uh, give me a break, there was like 25 of them, okay? There was a lot of them. I, I'm not just losing my memory. Uh, but, but, he, but he said something that I guess really just, at the end of the day, convicted me. And he said, is it, no, maybe? See, I told, I told you I know how to use this, and I think I lied. Okay. He said, when we believe so strongly in something that it just seems to pick us up and put us to work, that's when lives are changed. Simple statement, but powerful. And then just a, a couple minutes later, he said, if we pray for God to build his kingdom, and we pray to God that kingdom come, and then put anything but God on the throne, we're working against our own prayers. This 12 or 13-year-old boy said something that I reckon a lot of us need to hear and would benefit from hearing. Something that I needed to hear. And so as I sat down scribbling notes on the judging sheet trying to uh, make sure that I, that I recorded everything, I selfishly scribbled those two sentences down to, to share this evening. Now in all fairness, I'd already been studying for a very similar topic that I'd planned to preach tonight. And I'm still going to share those passages with you and some of those messages and I want to preface uh, this lesson tonight with the fact that this is probably a lesson that really started out uh, several months ago as a personal study for myself, never intending uh, to, to find a message to preach. It was just happened to be a topic that I was studying because it was something that I needed to hear, words of scripture that I desperately needed written on my heart at the time. And so I hope that as we study these topics tonight and we read these scriptures that you feel the same way and that you feel the desire and the need to change and to take action. I'm reminded of an old tale about two men discussing their beliefs. One of the men, a minister for his church, asked the other who, who attended just another church on the other end of town. And in, in the conversation, it came up, and, and the minister asked, Well, what exactly do you believe? The man confidently replied, Well, I believe the same as my church does, of course. The minister asked, and what does your church believe? The next response, equally as confident, well, they believe the same as me. Seeing that he really wasn't going to get anywhere, he, he finally just asked, and what is it that both of you believe? And he said, well, I suppose we believe the same thing. 
kind of silly, but do you ever find yourself in this position, maybe not to this extreme, but where someone's not able to identify what they believe or don't believe? Or maybe you've, you've been in a position where you haven't been able to carefully articulate your beliefs in the way that you'd like. Do we know what we believe, church? I see head nods. I know we do. In church, we sing hymns like, I love to tell the story. Wonderful story of love. Will you not tell it today? I know whom I have believed. And in particularly, one hymn comes to mind when we talk about belief, one that we sang quite often uh, growing up at my church back home. I believe in the one they call Jesus. I'm going to read you just the, just the first verse and the chorus from that, and then, and then go from there. It says, I believe in the one they call Jesus. I believe that he stilled storm Galilee. I believe that he walked on the water. And I believe that he's the answer for me. Yes, I believe in the one they call Jesus. I believe he died on Mount Calvary. And I believe that the tomb was found empty. And I believe that he's the answer for me. And I don't think that doesn't overcomplicate things much, does it, church? It sums it up pretty well. I believe Jesus came and lived and did some miraculous things. I believe that he died for my sins. I believe that he, that he resurrected from the dead. And I believe that he's the answer. I believe that my salvation is in him. I believe that he's alive and well today. That's simple enough. Church, do you believe? I see nods and smiles. But if you would just indulge me for a moment, I want to hear you say it. Just three simple words. Yes, I believe. Yes, believe. Three simple words, right? But words that when they stand alone don't mean much of anything. These three words don't do justice to the weight of the statement that we're making. When we sing these songs and others like them, we're making a public declaration of our faith. Sure, we're in worship with other like-minded believers, but nonetheless, we're making a statement. At least I hope we are. It should be all of our hope and our prayer that we're able to sing each and every song and pray each and every prayer with conviction for our Lord and Savior. But even mountaintop declarations of faith are not enough. Let me say that again. Even a mountaintop public declaration at the top of our lungs saying, Here I am. Yes, I believe. I believe in Jesus is not enough. I have six reasons why. Put your money where your mouth is. Talk is cheap. Actions speak louder than words. Easier said than done. Practice what you preach. Don't just talk the talk. Walk the walk. I'm sure you're familiar with these sayings and others like them. And they all mean the same thing. Your actions better match the statements coming out of your mouth. Church, our belief in Christ should be evident in the way that we live our lives. So while I'm not discouraging us from these public declarations of faith, and in fact, I would still encourage them, keep speaking the truth. Keep sharing your faith and do it proudly and with joy. But they aren't enough. I'm encouraging you and, and really myself to show my belief through the way that I live my life each and every day. Professing our faith while sitting idly by and not practicing it is harmful. It feels good, right, to tell your friends that you're a Christian, to profess your faith on your social media. It's really funny. We this got brought up in Bible class this morning, and I laughed, and it was not because Stephen 
you said something funny. It was just because I'd had it in here and thought that was neat. Anyway, if, if you're in the younger generation, you might even have a Bible verse in your, in your social media uh, biography where everyone can see it. Some like just being able to punch their ticket every Sunday. I like being able to say I attend Oldham Lane Church of Christ when people ask me where I go on Sundays. I like calling myself a Christian. It feels good. It feels good to be part of something. We like to wear our shirts with the cross emblems on them, with scripture references, with, with Jesus references. We got our logos and our decals on our cars. We like coming here, being at church, sitting in these pews, listening to lessons. We like when Christianity happens to us. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. We can surely and certainly enjoy these parts of being a Christian. But church, it's not enough to just sit and let Christianity happen to you. A brother once said that Christians in a church are a lot like cow manure. If you spread them out all over their community to love, to serve, and to bless others, they do a whole lot of good. But if they only stay piled up doing church things in a building, well, they just tend to stink. And so if we just sit idly by and profess our faith, at the end of the day, we just stink. And if an idle faith isn't bad enough, we also have those who stand on the mountaintops and profess their faith while denying God by the way they live their lives. If you would, turn with me to the book of Titus. This will be our, our main text tonight. Paul, writing to the church in Crete, shot a, a few warning shots across the bow here, warning them to not have empty declarations of faith while living completely adversely to the gospel. So if you would, let's take a look here in, in Titus chapter 1, starting in verse 10. And then following, for there are many rebellious people, empty talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision who must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach for the sake of dishonest gain. One of them, a prophet of their own, said, Christians are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. For this reason, reprimand them so severe, severely so that they may be sound in the faith not paying attention to Jewish myths and commandments of men who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their mind and their conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. The Cretans had earned themselves a really lovely reputation, it sounds like, for being lying, evil, gluttons. They professed to know God, but denied God by the way that they were living their lives day to day. Now, there are a slew of, of reasons why this could be a problem. But one that really comes to mind is the message that it sends to the eyes on the outside. When we talk about professing our faith, this isn't just about praising God and being obedient when we shout our belief from a mountaintop, we're doing it to, to send a message. I'm not just doing it to, to, be, to say, hey, I'm a Christian, I'm happy about it. And no, I'm not even doing it just to, to give God glory. Certainly those are good, godly things that we should be doing, but I'm doing it so that others see my faith and want what I have. So that others see the way I'm living my life and say that, that's something I need to be a part of. 
Church, when we shout our belief while denying God by our actions, we're definitely sending a message, just not the right one. And I think this is a reputation that many Christians do truthfully work hard to avoid. This is one of the first weapons used against a Christian in an argument, uh, the claims of hypocrisy. And many times this perception of hypocrisy comes from a, really a, a misunderstanding of forgiveness and repentance, right? With a non-believer looking at you and I, or maybe somebody that previously lived like the world and not understanding how they could now be living like a Christian. So yeah, there's a little bit of misunderstanding there, but unfortunately, there are many who profess Christianity that do exactly what the Christians struggled with, professing to know God, but denying him by their actions. Church, we've got to stop loading the gun for them. We've got to stop loading the gun for them. I'm sure you're familiar with the story of a church who handed out bumper stickers. The sticker said, follow me to church, and then the church name right below. And so they handed these, out, uh, these bumper stickers out and encouraged all their members to put them on their vehicles in a place where they were easily visible for others on the road to see them. Well, just two weeks later, two Sundays later, one of the elders stood in front of the congregation requesting and really begging that they remove these bumper stickers from their vehicles. What he didn't tell them is that in the two weeks since handing those bumper stickers out, the church secretary had fielded several complaints, more than she had in the entire previous year combined. People on the road were calling the church office to complain about traffic violations they had witnessed, like stop signs and stoplights being ran or avoided being cut off in traffic, and yeah, even being uh, given that lovely gesture that we're all knowing well. All these vehicles had one thing in common. They had this bumper sticker, and so they knew who to call to share their grievances with. Now, clearly anybody susceptible to committing a traffic violation and to the occasional bout of road rage, right? But these church members had brandished themselves with the Christian banner, by putting this on their vehicle. And while it's unfortunate that it adds extra scrutiny, it's just the truth. They say you can do a good thing repeatedly over and over and over again, and people will just brush it off as it's the right thing to do. It's just the expectation. But all it takes is one bad impression, and unfortunately that's what you're stuck with. And that's true in all avenues of life. I think we're, we're pretty harsh on one another. Right? All it takes is one mistake, and now that's your reputation. But instead of letting this uh, deter us or, or, or scare us, it ought to motivate us to be just as, as more careful that when we're out and about, that when we wear that Christian banner, that we wear it with pride, and that when people see us, they do see Jesus. Church, We've got to stop loading the gun for them. But I think that's a enough of a beating for now. We could go on and on about all the mishaps that unfortunately we commit as, as members of the church because we're, we're not infallible. We're human. So in talking about belief and how we proclaim it and all the things to avoid, it begs the question, so what should we do? And that brings me back to one of the statements that that young man made at LTC just a week ago. When we believe so strongly in something that it just seems to pick us up and put us to work, that's when lives are changed. 
Church, our faith should impact us so strongly that it becomes our motor. It should drive our actions. It should drive our thoughts. It should drive the way that we live our lives. Paul, after admonishing the Cretans for their lack of genuine faith, he, he turns it around and he addresses what it looks like to have a faith that is lived out loud. So if you would, we're back in, in, in Titus now in Titus chapter 2, uh, beginning in verse 1. And I'm going to read all the way through, through 2 to chapter 3, verse 1, if you would bear with me here. But as for you, as for you, proclaim the things which are fitting for sound doctrine, Older men are to be temperate, dignified, self-control, sound in faith, in love, and perseverance. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips or enslaved to too much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Likewise, Urge, you, urge the young men to be sensible. In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity in doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing to say about us. Urge slaves to be, the subject, to sub, to be subject to their own masters in everything, to be pleasing, not argumentative, not stealing, but showing all good faith so that they will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and in a godly manner in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, eager for good deeds. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. No one is to disregard you. Remind them to be subject to the rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to slander no one, not to be contentious, to be gentle, showing every consideration for all people. Now, I don't know if you were counting, but I did. There's about 35 actions given to us in this passage that I just read us. And not once does it say, confess your faith and call it a day. Seven or eight times, Paul tells us that we are to be something. He says, go and embody this. He doesn't say do it. He says, be this. It needs to be who you are. The word for to be here in the Greek, uh, eni, means to be or to exist. It's also used for, for the words is and am and was. This is who we are to be in, in, our, in our core, in our spirit, who we are from day to day when our belief drives our actions, church. But we can look back on this passage and, and really pull, I think, three main things from it to simplify it. One, our belief should drive us to pursue righteousness. Our godly morals should be evident to those around us. Paul instructs older men and women to be reverent, to have dignity, to have self-control. He encourages young men and women alike to be sensible and pure. He encourages the slaves to be pleasing and to show all good faith. And at the beginning of chapter 3, he emphasizes how important it is that we be obedient and ready for every good work. 
In all these verses, time and time again, Paul calls for sound doctrine. Church, our belief should drive us to pursue righteousness. Our belief should also pursue us to, to, to love, should also drive us to love, I'm sorry. Our care for others, and more importantly, their souls should be evident in the way that we treat them. Paul includes every category of a person, again, in his call to love. He tells older men to be sound in their love and telling older women to love their husbands and set an example in love for their children. Likewise, he encourages young men and women to do the same. Paul tells us our motivation for this love should come from our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. And later in chapter 3, we'll, we'll get to these verses in a moment, he goes further into detail about, about this, reminding Titus that it is because of God and because of his love for us that we must love others. And then finally, our belief should drive us to speak the truth and to share our faith. If we truly believe what we believe, church, if we really believe in the words of the Bible, if we really believe that God is who he says he is, if we really believe that Jesus Christ came and did the things that he did, and if we really believe that we have a sin problem, and if we really believe that his love has overcome all these things, and that we have an opportunity of salvation, if we really believe these things, why would we keep them to ourselves? That's selfish. When you find something that you love, when you find something that really works for you, what do you do? You go and share it. I have social media, right? I see all y'all selling your jewelry, and your diet programs, all the other lovely pyramid, I mean businesses that, that are out there. When we find something that we like and it works, we, we try to share it. Now, I'm not, I'm not calling us a pyramid scheme by any means, but we found something that works. We found the thing that works. There's only one thing, and we have it. Why would we keep that to ourselves? Why would we not give that to every possible person that we come into contact with? In these verses, Paul calls on men and women, young and old, to teach the truth, to be an example, to proclaim the truth, to be above reproach, that when we do share our beliefs, it's not falling on deaf ears. We should be yearning to tell the others about the gospel and remember that without it, we would be lost. This is exactly what Paul reminds us in the rest of, of Titus chapter 3. As we prepare to close, I'd like to read the rest of that chapter right now. Titus chapter 3, starting in verse 3 through the end. For we too were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hating, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds, which we did in righteousness, but in accordance with his mercy. By the washing of regeneration by, and, by, and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he richly poured out upon us through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This statement is trustworthy, and concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and beneficial for people, 
But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and strife and disputes about the law, for they are useless and worthless. Reject a divisive person after a first and second warning, knowing that such a person has deviated from what is right and is sinning, being self-condemned. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, make every effort to come to me at Nicopolis, for I've decided to spend the winter here. Diligently help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way so that nothing is lacking for them. Our people must also learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs so that they will not be unproductive. All who are with me greet you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. And really, church, that's what it comes down to, isn't it? It all began all those years ago with a group of people who were convicted by the message that Jesus preached. And long after he had resurrected and ascended to heaven, his word continues to be shared. People continue to tell the story. People continue to share their faith. People continue to confess their belief from the mountaintops. People continue to build the kingdom. Why? How could it last century after century after century? Church, it's because the faith that we have in our Savior is evident. It's because the love of God that he has for his children is evident. Because the cross couldn't kill him. The grave couldn't hold him. Because it's bigger than you and I. Because it's bigger than Oldham Lane. Because it's bigger than Abilene. And I know I'm going to upset somebody, but yes, it's bigger than Texas. Because our belief is rooted in an eternal God and Father and the sacrifice of his Son. Paul told Titus to speak confidently. Church, speak confidently about your faith. Do as Paul said and go and engage in good deeds that are beneficial to others. Go and meet their pressing needs. Go and proclaim the truth. Proclaim it from the mountaintops, but more importantly, proclaim it by the way that you live your life. Is your life recognizable as any different from before your days as a Christian or different from a, a peer who doesn't profess our faith? Is yes, I believe more than just a tagline for you and I? What has our belief inspired us to do? Has it inspired us to change? I sure hope so. Maybe you do believe, but you've yet to make that change. Let's fix that tonight. We're, we're here, we're ready, and we're willing to serve you in any way that you might need this evening. And, and our offices are open during the week if, if you wish to reach out and speak with a minister or elder. But whatever the need might be, if there's something that we can attend to tonight, we invite you to come, and come forward as we stand and sing. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided.